Father, we take the words that we've just sung, and as we do open Your Word, we ask indeed that You would open our hearts. Through Your Holy Spirit, that You would uh, cause our, our mind to, and our thoughts to, to not be distracted and carried into other areas and thoughts for, from things from last week or later today or tomorrow or the next week, but, but Lord, that we would be truly drawn in and focused on Your Word that it might continue to do its work in us, to transform us, to cause us to be closer to You in every way, and that others would be able to see that as well. That it would be a ministry beyond just hearing Your Word, but it would become, as even again as we sang, it would become the doing of Your Word as well. We worship You. We thank You that we could be together today. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. The last few weeks we have, uh, from the pulpit, we've been discussing the Bible in such a way as to understand that it is God breathed. It's inspired Word of God. That God literally inspired those who have written the the Scriptures to be exactly what it is that God wanted to say in order to reveal Himself to us. And to reveal Himself for all ages. Uh, It's an interesting thing. I I just realized, as I said that, for for all eternity as well. Because... The one thing it says that will last forever is His Word. His Word will endure forever, period. It's eternal. Uh, And so, as we look into it this morning, we realize God breathed. And within the framework of that, we talked about good news for fallen man. And I'm thinking really of all the things that we've talked about this month of April between uh, Alan and myself and, and sharing with you. You know, again, God so loved, He gave His only Son. Whosoever will believe in Him will have eternal life. So not perish, but have eternal life. And a critical part there, shall not perish. And that idea of perish is, is, is full of, of, of the idea of, of being separated and pulled away from so shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why was this necessary? Well, again, we spent a lot of time talking about this, but God is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He hates sin. He must judge sin to maintain who He is, a holy and righteous God. If He doesn't judge sin, He ceases to be the holy and righteous God that He is. He must judge sin. And not just kind of like acknowledge it and say, okay, it's taken care of. He must fully enforce what the law of, 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 of sin is. And of course, we know the ultimate wage of sin is death. To perish. To be separated from God. Physical, spiritual death. must be paid. It must be paid in full. 
And man, because of our sin, because we are in the fallen flesh that we have inherited from Adam, are not capable of paying any part of the price. And I emphasize that. Not any part of the price. It requires a perfect sacrifice. One without blemish. No hint of sin. But in this God-breathed Word that we have, we learn the good news that the sacrifice has been made. It is done. It is finished. Through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God incarnate, on the cross, His words, it is finished, were for all of us who rest in His grace. Who have confessed with our mouth and believe in our hearts He's the Son of God raised from the dead. That's the grace that Scripture speaks of. It's the gift that God has given us. It's the salvation that He has poured out on us. That He has purchased for us. Well, what happens, you know, when it seems like either it's one of two things, either things come in, in a sense of, of just timeliness. Or you seem to be more aware sometimes because I and I'm looking at myself because I've been studying all of this and reading all this and sharing it with you that I become more aware of, of certain things in conversation but I think the timeliness has a lot to do with it in the sense of what God is doing in other people's lives at the same time He's doing something in my life. And of course, that's what I'm sharing with you most of the time. In the last few weeks, I've had several conversations with people how to apply this God-breathed grace. Not only are we saved, but how to actually apply it so that we can Rest in this grace that we can live in it. Uh, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. To, to put off the things of the <coughs> excuse me, the things of the world, and to put on the things of Christ of the, and, and of His Word. Over and over and over again in, in Scripture, many times from Paul, we have this picture of putting off something of the world of sin. And then he turns right around and says, and put on. And he speaks of things of Christ and of His Word and of the Kingdom of God. And so, the question is, how do we go about this? How do we do this? And how do we deal with our day-to-day -day life in the sense that, well, we still have sin. How do we rest in God's grace when on a day-to-day basis we still find sin uh, involved in our life. Not just being tempted, but actually giving over. Actually sinning. And we, aren't we supposed to be transformed? Our character, our attitude, our words, our thoughts, our deeds. A mature Christian, a person who's growing in the, in the Lord, a growing Christian, uh, is, is one, well, let's look at Colossians 3.17. It says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
you all do that? Everything, word or deed? I, I, I'm not, I, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Uh, because I, I, I haven't, I, I haven't even got going backwards. I haven't got out of this morning yet. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so this this idea of of, of you know, maturity and 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 and, and you know uh, a growing Christian. We frequently use the word sanctification. To be sanctified is a process. That part we understand of growing into a Christ-likeness. So we have to wrestle with this reality that sin is there, that it creeps into our life and it still attacks us. And then when these conversations were going on, the other side of it came not just how to apply it, but concern. No, at least two, well, actually three people that I know in the last few weeks, this month of April, that I have talked to, one of them calling me urgently, concerned about, the unpardonable sin. Is it possible that I've done this? Now, I'm not going to spend any time really this morning talking or teaching on the unpardonable sin, but I, I am going to deal with a Scripture that mentions it. Uh, one of three Scriptures in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all talk about it, but I'm going to focus on the one in Mark. Uh, It's found in uh, Mark chapter 3, starting with the 22nd verse. Now, as I go through this, note carefully who Jesus is talking to, what they are saying about Him, and then what He says back. Please keep that in context. It's extremely important here. And the scribes, now, uh, the scribes were like the, the, the legal people of, uh, of the Word. The, the, the guys who, you know, they were the lawyers of the Word of God, if you will. Okay? They understood the Word inside and out. The scribes, the Pharisees, you hear, hear the combination. Scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, these leaders, uh, the, the priesthood. These are the people who could, you know, argue the Word of God, debate the Word of God at the gate of the city and discuss what was the... The worst of the sins. What was the least of the worst of the sins? And, and uh, you know, thus the question to Jesus that one time, for instance, well, what's the, the, the greatest commandment? That was meant to trap Him. And He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Against such, the law doesn't have anything against these. And you're keeping the whole law with this. And it's true. Look at the Ten Commandments. First four commandments deal with your relationship with God. The next six deal with your relationship with each other. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love each other as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus said there's the, that's the core of everything right there. Scribes and the, and, the, and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and others of the leaders would sometimes sit at the gate for hours or on the, court, uh, on the temple uh, porticles and on the steps and debate these things. So the scribes came down from Jerusalem and, and Jesus has been uh, actually north of Jerusalem. And, 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 uh, but uh, uh, when they leave Jerusalem, no matter what direction they go, they're always going south or down, if you will. <laughs> It seems always going down, not south, but 
we, when we think of down, we think south of wherever we are. And they're always going up to Jerusalem no matter what direction uh, when they go back to Jerusalem. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons. He cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, a kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, then the house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed, he may plunder his house. So Satan is, Jesus is saying it's obvious if you think about it, Satan isn't casting out these demons. He's not going to do that against himself. And then he adds this picture. No one can enter a strong man unless he first binds the strong man before he goes into his house. Satan's a strong man, but he's, he's, he's what? He's been bound by Jesus. So, you know, Jesus, can, Jesus can plunder his house. <laughs> you know? and, and, and so these parables are leading to this. And he says, truly I say to you, anytime you see that word truly, do extra little focus there because Jesus is saying I really want you to grab this here truly I say to you all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter did you hear that all children, all the sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, now, catch this phrase here, for they who, the scribes, were saying, he has an unclean spirit. This last thing about the blasphemies against the Holy Spirit were directed towards a specific group of people. Who was it? The scribes. You've got to understand what they were doing. They were taking everything that Jesus was doing by the power of the Holy Spirit they came with the intent to put him down. They have been doing this already. They came with the intent. They have no desire in their heart whatsoever to see the truth. All they want to do is to see Jesus out of the picture, diminished, his teaching discounted. They've tried everything they can. So they said he's a devil inside him. He's possessed himself. Jesus gives him an argument that says it doesn't carry water, your argument. And then he adds, everybody's sins will be forgiven, but in reference to what you're doing here today, your hearts are, he implied, your hearts are so hard, you're giving credit and glory to, to, to Beelzebub for doing the work of God? You're, you're, you've got no hope. But just before that, he did say all sins, even blasphemies, would be forgiven. So why did you know this this other thing is directed back there? I'm not going to go any further with that. It's just that I want you to understand who it was directed towards. Okay, and 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 what they were doing. A lot of people say, and I'm I'm one of them that agrees with this. If you're really seriously heart burdened and concerned that you might have sinned and got against God in such a way that you've offended Him to the point where He may cast you out of His kingdom then you haven't done it. <laughs> because the other thing that goes with this is what these scribes already had 
which was a seared, hard, closed heart. Leave that there now. That doesn't change the, ad, the problem, though, of dealing with the idea of sin in a believer's life. How we rest in Christ and His grace and His mercy. Again, this whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. What if I blow it? Again, I'm, I'm trying to even get back out of this morning and I can't. Okay, what if I blow it and I miss the mark? Now, you understand. I know you do, but it bears just putting it in here. Sin is missing the perfect mark of God, the perfect things of God. Anything that is less than of God in our attitude, our thinking, uh, and and and. and our works, our deeds, our words, that misses the mark, in other words, whether it's... That's about a sixteenth of an inch. Uh, I, I, can't, I couldn't do a 30 seconds without it touching. So I, uh, any, you know, anything that, that just misses the mark or misses the whole target, it doesn't matter. It's sin. And because of sin... You are now guilty of sin and your penalty is death. So what if I blow it? I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. I've asked Him to save me. How many times can he, is He going to forgive me? Especially for the same thing. If I do it again and again. And again, I put again with a lot of dots after it with a question mark, but at what point does it turn into the unpardonable sin? Well, I hope you realize already from what I've already shared, that doesn't apply here. So, but yet, you would think about it, if I, if I lose my salvation, then it must be a sin that doesn't have forgiveness. <laughs> so it kind of still fits that idea. And, and, and again, this, this idea, how, how much sin is too much? I looked at this and I thought, Bob, that's a, that's an extremely interesting question, because one sin is too much. But in reference to God's forgiveness, you know, Jesus set the stage with Peter. Peter says, seven sins, that's too much. Seven sins of the same thing over and over and over again done to me. That's too much. I don't have to forgive anymore. Isn't that, 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 that would be right. Wouldn't it be Jesus? Because that's more than the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees and all those guys practice. They, they practice up to three. So seven would be a big number. And, and I would be right after that of holding the sin against them. Jesus shook his head. I can see it now. It doesn't say he shook his head, but I think he must have. You know, kind of like, you still haven't got it, Peter. Try seven times 70. Now, I'm enough of a legalist that I would, if I didn't understand that that was a colloquialism that means unlimited number, I would sit there and start recording. And when it got to 491, I'd say, you're done. 
Seven times seven is four hundred ninety-eight. Yeah, it is. Okay. Seventy times seven, four hundred ninety. Yeah. I was. Uh, I sat here. I didn't put the answer here, so I, I should have. You know. In fact, it says answer question mark. Hmm, now I'm really confused. Uh, Whoever believes in Christ and has received Him, whoever's confessed Him, whoever's received Him in his heart, Mark 3.28 is the Scripture that applies. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. What are some of these sins that we, always, that we, we get so concerned about especially because uh, they are listed in such a way that if you don't repent of them in the first place, in other words, if you live in these without any kind of repentance, they will send you to hell, okay? Well, you understand anything that misses the mark sends you. But the, so be, be careful as you, you think that because you, you, we tend to get distracted that. But, G, but Paul writes to the Corinthians, says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? By that there is the definition. Unrighteous. If you are under the blood of Christ, if you have received Christ as your Savior, if you are resting in His words, it is finished, you are no longer the unrighteous. You are the righteous in Christ. Perfect? No. Righteous in Christ? Perfect. Christ's perfection? Yes. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Starting with that. So don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Wait a minute. He's talking to believers. Some of you were these people who would not inherit the kingdom of God because... At that point, you were unrighteous. What separated them? Receiving Christ as their Savior. Now they are in the righteous. So you were like this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But are the Corinthians still having problems with sin? <laughs> Read on. <laughs> They're still having problems with this. So obviously, I, I hope you're, you're, you're not taking this, you know, you know, like the, it's so obvious what I'm saying. But I just want to make sure we understand that as believers, Christians do and, 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 and can and will sin. So I'm looking in these conversations that I've had with these people and it drove me back to saying I need to complete all of this picture that we've been dealing with with God breathed and forgiveness and the Word of God and what it says. And uh, several articles, interestingly, were, uh, have literally dropped in my lap. I wasn't looking for them specifically, but they were things that I'd seen in other things that I was looking for over the week and I went back to them. One article's title is Feeling More Sinful by Brian, an article by Brian Lee, uh, who's pastor of uh, Christ, uh, Christ uh, Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. 
Another one was the unpardonable sin. And that was written by Ed Welch, who is a noted Christian counselor. Another one was, What is the Essence of Spiritual Maturity? by Fred Davis. And I was looking at these and I thought, okay, define mature Christian. I, I, you know, it's one of those things. I, 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 I'm not, please, don't raise your hand and answer this question. <laughs> because, I, I, if, you know, I, it, well, just don't, please. Okay, rhetorical question, but still to you while you're sitting there to think about. Define mature Christian. In your, in your thoughts for a moment, just think about it. What, is, what does sanctification look like? It says we've been sanctified. What does it look like? Well, I'm going to lean on this article that uh, uh, Brian Lee wrote in Feeling More Sinful. Now, just again, listen carefully because you'll realize that there's a little tongue-in-cheek going on here initially, please. The sanctified saint, we imagine, has conquered most of his stubborn, indwelling sins. He's filled with love for his neighbor and he's always on the lookout for ways to help him. He delights in the things of God, loves to read his Bible, and loves to go to church. Temptation might flare up once in a while, but he is generally under control. That's why he has such a big smile on his face. You know, I caught the drift. I hope the the tongue-in-cheek there. His next paragraph. Yeah, I've never felt that way either. (laughs) You You know, come to think of it, have you ever met any believer who spoke that way about sin as something they had under control? At least one you believed. goes on to write, Sanctification begins with a deep grasp of our sin and God's holiness. It recognizes that our righteousness remains as filthy rags before His spotless glory. We've all heard that, you know, as filthy rags before His throne, before His glory. And he added a few words so that again, that he, you know, we recognize that our righteousness Our own goodness. Not Christ's goodness in us. Our own goodness. Remains as filthy rags before the spotless glory. This answer comforts us in the face of persistent sin and cautions us against wild expectations of spiritual bliss in the Christian life. God has begun a work in us and He will complete it. Philippians 1.6 He's begun a work in us and He will complete it but we're in the process of it being done. Sin is in the picture. This process is a lifetime in its nature of being worked out. I will never be perfect in this body. Ever, never possible. Sin will always shadow me. Paul, and I, I know there's different interpretations, but the one that I shared with you that I come from when we went through Romans 7 a few weeks ago, 
um, was Paul's battle between his spirit and his flesh. He says, I really want to do what is right, but man, I keep doing what is wrong. And he ends up with the final thing, wretched man that I am, what's gonna, how am I going to deal with this? And, and he says, but through Christ Jesus. And then he says the, the beautiful, powerful, lovely, full of grace scripture, <laughs> Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's a battle of raging in your flesh, of course. You're in this fallen flesh. There's no surprise here. But because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, His righteousness is overcome and stands ahead of you before the throne of God. And as a result, there is no condemnation. The unpardonable sin is not a possibility for you. You're in Christ. Chapter uh, uh, 3 of Philippians. Uh, Paul speaking uh, of, of uh, himself in a Paul's been talking about the righteousness through faith in Christ and how it has nothing to do with your own ability. If it had anything to do with your own ability, I'd be skyrocketing, he said. But that's not the case. And uh, he, he says, uh, come, so I'll just pick up with verse 7 here. Um, Whosoever, uh, but whatever gain I had, in other words, whatever self-righteousness I had, whatever... I had that, that I thought had earned anything before the throne of God, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, what Christ has done for me. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Rubbish, uh, you have heard defined a lot of ways, but you could insert filthy rags as well if you want it there. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by, means, by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect. I've got all of this working for me, but I haven't made it to the end. I am not perfect. But, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider what I have made it... I, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies, lays, excuse me, lies behind me, and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Oh, did I just get a definition of something about maturity in Christ? Someone who knows they haven't arrived. That they're not perfect. 
that they're still having to press towards it and work at it and, and fight for it and, 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 and wrestle with it. And he says, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it also to you. I love that. In other words, and if you don't agree with this now, you will eventually. <laughs> I, I, I just love that part. You know, it, 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 it's so Paul. Anyway, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Hang on to what you've got so far. Don't, as you, as you say, you know, I'm only moving ahead. Don't, don't lose what you've already got. It's kind of like you, you, you've entrenched. You, you've got this. Hang on to it. Secure it. But then keep going. Don't stop there. That's not it. You haven't arrived. Perfection hasn't happened. That doesn't happen until Christ returns. Until the marriage feast. That's when it's just so powerful. The battle of the flesh, the Christian growth into maturity, it's a process. But it's a process that as we go through it, God has promised He will he started it. He will complete it. God has provided some ways to accomplish this work through, you know, you know, the, you know, working through this. One of them is one that that we frequently comment on here from Ephesians chapter four, uh, just starting with verse eleven, uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. We're always going to be headed towards that. Paul has already said we'll never really attain that. But maturity in the church is where the process is happening. A mature church is where it is happening. That is, that's the idea for that I get out of this. Where growth is happening, where the body of Christ is working together, where the gifts... Look at what he says, he goes on to say about this. Uh, mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness or deceitful schemes. In other words, we're not deceived easily. We, you know, we, we balance things. We go to the Word. We challenge it. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in, in every way un, into Him who is the head. Into Christ. Who is the head? Into Christ. Did I? Who is the head? Yes. Into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. How many joints are there in here right now? Gosh, that's a dangerous thing to say in Humboldt County if you've been in the crowd you're in. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, one, two, three, four, five, six. properly. And it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. By the way, another sign of a mature church is the love of Christ flowing through it. Jesus said that's the way in, in John 13, 35. He says that's the way they're going to identify know who you, if you're real or not. By the way, you love each other. 
And boy, if you want to get the right attitude about love, go to 1 Corinthians 13. You all call it the love chapter, but you know it doesn't keep a list of wrongs. Oh, 491 isn't going to work. Is there a battle going on? Absolutely. Galatians talks about it too. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. No condemnation here. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Gosh, it seems like I already heard some of these. Strive, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things not hear the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Are we done with the battle? No. What's the desire of our hearts? And when, you know, this is one of the things we all need to make sure we grasp. When a, when a believer succumbs to sin and falls, we're not supposed to do what? Jump on him and kick him until he's dead. We come alongside, encourage, pray, now, what if he's unrepentant? Well, that's another story. Then you might have to come alongside as a group, uh, some people together, according to Matthew. And if that doesn't work, you might have to come together with the elders and, and, and deal with it. You may have to even say something to the whole congregation at some point. But even at that point, our motivation isn't to bring him down or to get rid of him. Our motivation is to get him right with God again. Corinthians didn't quite get that with their situation. Paul had to write in 2 Corinthians, by the way, you know, he, you know, he's repentant, take him back. <laughs> you know. Battle of the flesh, Christian growth, maturity, it's a process, and again, that God will complete. And it's paid in full through Jesus Christ. Since I've been quoting Ed Welch in this article, I'll read it. I mentioned him, this Christian counselor that wrote a, uh, an article about unpardonable sin. He says, as we as Christians and stand in, in the grace of God and rest there, we need to, to realize what that means to rest in His grace. We are saved. No condemnation. He said, there is, I love this phrase. I, I'd never heard it put quite this way. There is nothing stingy about the forgiveness Jesus offers. <laughs> I love that. There's nothing stingy about the forgiveness Jesus offers. You know, the, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit held nothing back in saving all who confess and believe in Jesus Christ. They held nothing back. In their pain, their suffering, nothing held back. Christ paid in full so that we could sit here this morning with no condemnation. What a way to enter into communion. Ask the ushers to uh, come pass out the communion. Uh, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
happen if you think about it. You look at the Gospels, uh, how much of the, the Gospel is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life, and then you go to the Gospel of John and you realize how much of the Gospel of John is just devoted to the last night and the next day, you know, that, that final part of, of Jesus' ministry and time together with his disciples. 
washed his feet to show, let us know what a real leader is. He washed the feet of the disciples. Served them. He shared communion with them. At this point, as a, a, a preview, if you will, of what was going to happen. And it's clear that in the accounts of, of Acts, that as often as they gathered together, they, they, they shared the, 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 the communion together, they broke bread together, to remember what has been done. Based on Jesus' command. Jesus told the disciples very specifically that this is something that they were to do. And, and as often as they did it, to do it in remembrance of Him. That they would take the bread, as Jesus had taken the bread that night, we take this morning. And He said, this is, this is my body. It's broken for you. And He said again, as often as we would do this, that we would, should be doing it in remembrance of Him. The end of the supper, he says he took the cup of wine, he held it up and said, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for you. And as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Father, indeed, we give thanks. As we share these two emblems that represent the reality that the God of all creation came in the flesh and sacrificed His flesh for us. Thank you. But we recognize that that sacrifice was complete and full because He poured out His blood, His life for us. And we stand with absolute confidence, Lord, as we share in communion. We stand with the words, it is finished. We have brought nothing to this table today except the body and the blood of Christ as our covering. And we rest completely in that, knowing that as we do, there is no condemnation for us. Thank you. You took it on Yourself. Thank You. We worship You and we praise You in Jesus' name.